All right, Job. Job chapter 38 tonight. We're going to finish that up. If I get a little more volume on that, that would be on my microphone thing. That'd be great. Uh, Job 38. If you remember, I, was it last week we met or the week before? I think it was last week. Elihu had finally came and it was his turn to speak. Remember that. And unlike Job's friends who attacked uh, Job, they, they made a lot of assumptions, remember. They made all these assumptions of what Job's problem was, which was, Job, you have sin, you've got hidden sin, and that's why you're suffering. If you just quit sinning, all the suffering would stop. And um, so they attacked Job's character and, and his actions that they didn't even know about and had no evidence and no, no proof over. But we know that Elihu showed up, and he did not attack those things. Elihu went directly after what Job said. He took his words and he judged him according to the knowledge of God that they had. And he found his words unrighteous. He found Job's words to be um, uh, contradictory to the very character and the nature of God. And and we, we saw that um, as Elihu addressed Job's words that God is going to do the very same thing here tonight. God is going to address what Job said. He's going to address what Job said. And God knows everything about Job. Now remember, Job has been sacrificing. I mean, he's been keeping a, a, a close account. His, his, I'm sorry, let me say it this way. He is keeping his account clean between him and God by, by sacrificing and taking care of uh, sins and things like that. And that's why he could say, I, I don't have any unconfessed sin. I don't have anything going on in my life. He really didn't. But what he was saying, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, what he was saying was the issue. And God's going God's gonna to deal with that tonight. And, verses, and we're going to go from chapter 38, Lord willing, to chapter 42 quickly tonight. So last week we looked at and we said this. What was, the, what was some of the overall meaning of the book of Job? If, what, what could be a couple takeaways that we could have from Job? And the first one we noticed is, listen closely sometimes God brings people into our life who are a mirror of our relationship with God. You say, oh, they're so annoying. Oh, they're just nip at my heels constantly. They're, 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 they're uh, heel biters. They're just constantly nipping and nipping and irritating and stepping on my last nerve. You know, maybe your children and you say, I wish they would just trust God. I wish they would just get these things right. I wish they would just come into this relationship with God that God desires them to have. And God sometimes points on you and says, hey, Bubba, they're just doing what you do to me. No, he does. And, and this is what we're seeing in, in Job's three friends that are so annoying to him. The, 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 they're actually, Job, Job's friends attack on Job is essentially what Job was doing to God. He's attacking God. And you see this mirror between the friends of Job and Job. And that's one thing that we notice that we need to realize in our own life, that sometimes God does bring people into our life to, to, re- to reveal that in our own life and heart and the way we're treating God. Now, secondly, the other takeaway we had last week was when God brings somebody into our life, like Job was in Elihu's life, sometimes it, does, it doesn't matter what you say to them. It doesn't matter how much truth you give to them. It doesn't matter, uh, I mean, how well you can put out your argument and say, listen, according to the Word of God, this is what's going on in your life. This is why the problems in your life, this is the struggles in your life. And if you would just, 
you know, do here what God has told you to do, it might be okay. Listen, sometimes there's people that no matter what you say to them, they're not going to hear a thing until God speaks to them. We've heard of this, casting your pearl before swine. Answer not a fool according to his folly. Right? There, there, there are some principles that God gives us that sometimes we need to have wisdom just to go, Lord, you're going to have to deal with it. Yeah. You, you know, what, is it, what does the Bible say about a, a wise person? About a wise person takes rebuke and instruction. Why? Because they have wisdom and they want to grow in wisdom and knowledge. And when somebody corrects them, they go, oh, thank you. I needed that. They may not even like it and we don't ever like it, but I hope we all have the attitude when correction comes that we are thankful for it. That's a mark of wisdom. Okay? But uh, some people... Not going to hear it. Not going to hear it. Job, listen, at the end of it, the third friend, remember the first friend, one speaks, Job. Two, Job. Third one speaks, Job. Starts all over again. One, Job. Two, Job. Third one, didn't even speak. Job just went on and on and on and on. He was done talking. The friends were done talking. Finally, at the end of it, Elihu shows up. Right? When he figured out Job finally was ready to shut his mouth, Elihu spoke. And, uh, so what you may be doing, this is what we saw also last week, what you may be doing is just getting them to a place where they are finally able to hear from God. But don't expect any results from what you're saying. God's going to have to do that sometimes. Okay. So tonight, after much arguing, after much speculation, after all this accusation that has been going on from Job, from his three friends, from Elihu, finally tonight, God is going to speak. Are you ready? I'm ready. Finally, this is so Job's monotonous. Oh my goodness! It's just like, would you please be quiet? You know, you're all the the way they talk, the flowery speeches, the the eloquence. All the, it's like you gotta you gotta wade through a lot of words to figure out what they're saying, right? And so God is going to respond tonight. And remember this also from last week: God never reacts; God responds. Yeah, right. He allowed Job to go through what he did. He allowed Job to uh, go through all the suffering that he has. He allowed Job's friends to be a thorn in his side. He purposely remained quiet during this entire episode of Job's life. God did not react to what was going on in Job, Job in Job's life. God responded to what was going on in Job's life. And don't forget this. I said this last week, I know. But I think it's important to say. But to say to say God reacts to something is to say that God is not omniscient and not all-knowing. And He is. So He never reacts. He responds. And God is going to respond to Job tonight. And, and look at verse 1 of chapter 38. Job chapter 38 and verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job. I, I love that word answered there. Why is he answering Job? Because if you remember the last 37 chapters, Job has had all sorts of questions about God and against God. So God's answering Job finally, right? He answered him. And, Job, and the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel? Okay? So who is this that darkeneth counsel? Counsel. I like this out of the whirlwind. It's a tornado. 
So some commentators believe that they were the things when that when that Elihu started talking about the the wind and the rain and the and the world it was because there was an incoming thunderstorm and they're just he was taking uh, the the elements of what was going on around them and dragging them into the conversation and here we have God answering Job in the whirlwind like there was a there really was a storm coming in and there's an actual tornado here and God God is speaking and the tornado remember Elijah. And when he went up to the mount and uh, it said, God, you know, there came a a wind, but God wasn't in the wind and an earthquake and God went in the earthquake and the fire, but God wasn't in the fire. Right. Where was God? He was in a still small voice. He spoke. And God does this sometimes. So God is speaking out of the whirlwind. What I think about this now. We have no control over the weather, do we? <clears throat> we have no control. None at all. The best job in the world to have is a meteorologist. You can be wrong. You can get paid and people will turn you back on or or turn you on the radio or the TV, whatever, and listen to you all over again. And make plans around your your, all your predictions that are usually wrong, right? And then they get irritated not at the meteorologist. They get irritated at the weather. It's like, well, getting irritated at the meteorologist. He's the one who said it was okay. See, in Boy Scouts, we learn to be prepared, right? In our backpack, you always had to have a poncho because it might rain, right? So, preparation. I don't know how I got on that. Oh, I know now. Yeah, we can't control the weather. That's how. We cannot control the weather. And if you notice this here, weather is so insignificant to God that He speaks to Job through this tornado. Why would God choose this method to talk to Job? Couldn't he have just spoke without the whirlwind? He could have. And he does. And he has, right? But for some reason, he chose us. He, remember, he chose the burning bush with Moses. Well, I just mentioned Elijah, the way he chose to get Elijah's attention. And this is exactly what it is. It's an attention getter. Yeah. I mean, look at the Apostle Paul. What happened? The bright light knocked him off the back of the, back of the donkey. And then Jesus spoke. It was an attention getter, right? That's the first thing. No human could orchestrate this. No human could orchestrate, number one, the tornado, then God speaking through this whirlwind. Couldn't happen. And uh, no human could communicate through a natural event like this. You ever tried to talk over a tornado? <laughs> no, you're looking for somewhere to hide from the tornado, aren't you? So God chose a natural weather event to speak to Job because nobody but God has that power and that ability. Remember, I I wrote down here, I jotted down Psalm 30, uh, verse 4. Who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fist? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name if thou canst tell? Who's able to do this but God alone? To control the weather. So God has shown up the only way that he could. And here in verse 2, God is going to lay out the charge against Job. He says, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? See what he's going after here? What Job said. Just like Elihu did. He went after what Job said. So God knew who Job was. And look what he's, he's asking here also. Who do you think you are? Who is the who is who is the person who would darken counsel 
against God Almighty. What does it mean to darken counsel? It means to confuse an issue by introducing irrelevant or ill-founded considerations. They're just throwing things into this, introducing irrelevant things into the known, uh, into what is known about somebody or something. They start throwing stuff in that that they do to just confuse the situation. You ever have a conversation or debate with somebody on a on one singular issue and they start throwing in other things that don't pertain to it whatsoever? And by the time you're done, you've you've like you've gone off in some other way and you've totally this happens a lot soul winning, doesn't it? You get to a door and you 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 start to you know have a conversation with them about their soul and it ends up in a question, it ends up over here, and then over and that's like what have they done? They've just darkened counsel and they've confused the whole situation. You you have we have to be alert and go, wait, well, tell you what, let me answer that later. Let's just let, let me just finish this right here, and I'll answer that question later. We have to do that sometimes, don't we? Right. So God says, Who is what kind of person is it that comes against God Almighty and darkens counsel? By words, listen to this, without knowledge. What's he saying? Job, you don't know nothing. You don't know a thing. So Job has confused the issue. This is what God's charge is against Job. Job, you have confused the whole issue. Well, what was the issue at hand? What was the person and the character of God? Remember the big why? This is what Job's life was. This is what Job's period of time here was, was why. I, he says, I know God has done this, and I guess I know God is able to do this, but I want to know why He's doing this, and I want Him to answer me. And God says, you have confused the issue of my character and who I am and what I'm able to do. So God commands Job here, and He says, gird up now thy loins like a man. Get up, be a man, and get up. <laughs> and He says, I'm going to demand you of something. Answer me. Answer thou me. And look what he starts with. Where wast thou when I laid the foundation of the earth? <laughs> yeah. You know what's going on here? The judge of all the earth has taken his seat on the bench. Job has made all of the accusations. His friends have made accusations. Not Elihu. But his three friends and Job has made all sorts of accusations, all sorts of assumptions. They have, they have darkened counsel. They put all out all sorts of, of uh, information with, with, without any knowledge. And the judge has taken his seat on the bench. And he says, all right, get up here. Answer me this. Where were you when I made, the, when I made everything, when I made the foundation of the world? Job has had God on trial for about 36 chapters. And now God has Job on trial. <laughs> yeah. And there's nothing that Job can do, right? All he can do now is stand up and give an answer. Now, now don't, let's, let's not lose sight of this either. Job is righteous. Job is saved. We'd use the terminology today. Job is born again. He was, he was looking forward to his Redeemer. He even said so, right? He knew what? Well, that I'm gonna, uh, though my flesh, though I die and my flesh goes into the grave, I know that I will see God someday in this flesh and upon this earth. He knew that. He was righteous. Okay? 
But this is not a judgment of an unsaved man. This is the correction of a righteous man. Two different things. Two different things. And so remember, I've said this multiple times. God wanted righteous Job to become perfect Job. He wanted righteous Job to be a mature Job, okay? And so Revelation 3.19, we know what it says. What what did he say? This was said by Jesus to the church at Laodicea. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. At another place, uh, God says that uh, if I don't chasten you, you are not one of mine. If you can live in sin and not have correction and not deal with it and live like there's no problem, there's no, there's no guilt, there's no darkness, there's no struggle over it. I'm not, and there may not be like, you know, the rocks fall on your head and trees fall on your house and you get in car wrecks and things like that, though that's, I mean, God can use anything. Sometimes, you know, the correction of God is just the, our, the destruction of our own soul. In, in, in our, in our, in our emotions and our, in, in everything that's connected to just, just, uh, you ever been around a Christian who's just miserable to be around because they've just lived in sin so long? They're nasty. They're, they hate life. They hate people. They hate everything. And man, what is going on? It's the judgment of God. It's correction. God says, if that doesn't happen, you're not one of mine. If you can get away with stuff and it doesn't bother you and it never shouldn't. No, because God chastens his children. Because he loves them. And this is what's going on in Job's life right now. Chastening. Chastening. So here's what we understand here. Is that we will never mature in Christ. If we have the wrong understanding of who God is. I mean that's just obvious. Right. But also we will never mature in Christ. If we constantly live with God on trial. You say, how do, how do I put God on trial? Yep. You question them. There's books written, you know, about why suffering. Why? Because the world questions God. They question God. They question on all sorts of things. So God wants Job to mature. So you know what he's going to do? He's going to deal now with Job's words because he has put God on trial. So listen to the questions here that God gives from the bench. Chapter 38, verses 4 through 11. I'm not, I was going to read these. We're going we're to run out of time. Please do this. Go home and read all these. I love it. I mean, some of the things that God brings out, we'll, we'll skip through a couple of these. It, it's, it's pretty neat. But verses 4 through 11, God says, essentially, where were you in creation? Verses 12 through 15, God says, where were you in causation? Where were you when I, when I caused everything to happen? Look at verse 12. We'll read that. Hast thou commanded the morning since thy days? Now that's really funny because God is eternal. And the first thing he revealed to Job is since thy days, what? He's not eternal. He showed up and it was no, he had no, he had no control of it as even coming to the planet. And God says, so, uh, were you able to, uh, command the morning since thy days? So who's been commanding it since before your days? Not you. <laughs> I don't know why I enjoy this so much. I do. Look at this. And caused this day spring to know his place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth, and that the wicked might be shaken out of it. Verse 14, it is turned to clay, uh, as, as clay to the seal, and they stand as a garment. And from the wicked their light is withheld, and the high arm shall be broken. 
So where were you in creation, God? Uh, Job, where were you in causation? How, what, were you able to cause the world to exist? We know that the Bible says that it is all held together by the power of His what? His word. God says, spin. I love this. Science has tried to search through the atomic realm and the subatomic, as they've gotten down to the subatomic realm, they've, they begin to question what holds it all together. You know what they have found? Nothing. Exactly what the Word of God says. It's held together because God says so. I love it. Where were you, Job? Third thing he asks him is, what's, what's your limitation? Your limitation in access, your limitation in knowledge, his limitation in power, his limitation in provision. So God, God just pointed out here, and his questions back to Job and here it is in limitations. Limitations. Look at verse 39 through 41. Wilt thou hunt the prey for the lion? Or fill the appetite of the young lions? Job, are you going to provide with, a, with the, my animal, the, what I, my creation? Are you, are you able to provide for them? For them to live? Look at verse 40. When they couch in their dens and abide in the covert to lie in wait, who provideth for the ravens his food? When his young ones cry unto God, they wander for lack of meat. Who, who provides Job? Do you do this? No. No, you don't. Why? Because you just showed up, I don't know, maybe, maybe 70 years ago. Maybe 75 years ago. Something like that. You say, how do we get that? Well, we'll see here at the end. I'll show you. Maybe he's maybe about 70 right now. Possibly. Possibly. So God is, has these questions from the bench. And before God can answer Job, watch this. He's got to put Job in his rightful place first. He, here's what he's establishing. Job, you're nothing. And you are less than nothing. I created you like I created everything else that has far more grandeur in size and scope than you do. What does the Bible says? What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou hast visited, that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. Think about this. The Bible says that God counts the nations as the drop of the, uh, as the dust of the balance and a drop in the bucket, and the isles as a very little thing. And what is man? We don't. We are specks on a planet that is a speck, actually unseeable at the ends of our own Milky Way galaxy, which is just one galaxy of billions. We're nothing. Well, what makes us something? Well, the breath of God that has given us life. We are a living soul, nefesh. We're a living soul created in His image. But if you want to talk about size and scope and ability, we don't show up. Look at the ant. What is the ant able to do pound for pound? We're not even close. What about a spider's web? Ten times, one strand, ten times the strength of steel. I can't do that. Yeah. What Job is, what God is showing Job here is that Job is finite. Job is mentally deficient. Job is powerless. I'm t- God's not holding back here. Oh, I mean, He is, obviously. He could... He could have just snuffed him out. But he didn't because he has a purpose for Job. 
And He doesn't snuff you out and He doesn't snuff me out because it has a purpose for us. So we're going into chapter 39 now. He has established where Job is and his inability and things like that. So he's going to continue some questions. And now he's going to bring up the animal world. And he says, Job, do you know about these things? Now he's testing him here. Verses 1 through 4 of chapter 39. Do you know the gestation of wild goats, Job? (laughs) I don't know why this is hilarious to me. It's like, Job, do you know how long... That little baby stays in the wild goat before it's born. Do you know that? No, you don't, Job. But I do. Because I made him. Do you realize in all of creation, from animals to, to, to human beings, every animal after its kind, the world over, has the same gestation period? Every human being on the planet, every woman on the planet has a nine-month gestation period. Or whatever it is, nine months and however, how many weeks? Forty weeks, yeah. There's no variation on the planet. Am I right? 40 weeks? Is that right? Okay. I don't know. I've never had a baby. Huh? No. No. I read in a magazine in the aisle at the grocery store some guy did, but I never have. So. No. It, what, no, this, the creation. It is the same. The dogs, the world over, same gestation period. Whales, same one. Elephants, same. Wild goats, God brings up. So Job, uh, I mean, this, I, I think this is a pretty funny question. I mean, who goes around just asking that? So, do you know the gestation period of... Now, Brother Jim would know this. I mean, he, he might ask these questions. Verses 5 through 8, God asks Job about the untamable wild donkey. Look at verse 5. Who hath sent out the wild ass free? Or who hath loosed the bands of the wild ass? Whose house... I have made the wilderness and the barren land his dwelling. He scorneth the multitude of the city. Neither regardeth he the crying of the driver. The range of the mountains is his pasture, and he searcheth after every green thing. Job, you don't know anything about just this little animal. The unusable unicorn, the rhinoceros. Job, why it, Why is it? Now watch, God is establishing something here. Job, why is it that the, the rhinoceros is unusable to you? Why is it that you can't tame this wild donkey? Why is it that you don't know the gestation period of a goat? Why is it that there is a unique beauty and stupidity of a peacock? Look at verse 13. Gavest thou the goodly wings unto the peacock, or wings and feathers to the stupid ostrich? I said stupid, I know, because they're literally stupid. Look what God goes on to say about her. Which leaveth her eggs in the earth, and warmeth them in the dust, and forgetteth that the foot may crush them, or that the wild beast may break them. She's hardened against her young ones, as though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain, without fear. Because God, here it is, because God hath deprived her of wisdom, neither hath he imparted to her understanding. And he goes on about the wisdom of birds, hawks, to fly south. Who gave them that, Job? And then the wisdom of the eagle to soar, to build unsearchable nests, to to get up into the crags of the cliffs and things like that. Watch, to have an eagle eye. God, I I was just asking Sherry today, do you wonder wonder if the the people of Job's time understood the, the magnitude of the eye of an eagle? Or if this was purely... 
revelation. Look at verse 29. From thence she seeketh the prey, and her eyes behold afar off. You know what we know today? The eagle can see a long way away. They scavenge for food. Eagles are, I know they're magnificent birds, but they're scavengers. They are scavengers. <laughs> kind of makes them not as cool anymore, but they really are. Yeah. You know what God's saying? They do, every one of these animals, Job, they do this because I made them to do this. I made them to do this. I created them this way. And God created us the way we are as well, to have a relation with Him. He made the ostrich stupid. He made the peacock to have beautiful feathers. He made the eagle to fly and do what it did and its eyes to do what it God, God said, I made all of this. You didn't. You didn't. So then we get into chapter 40. And now God wants an, wants an answer for Job. Look at verse 1. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that, content, that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. Now, did you see what he just said here? He wants an answer. He says, Job, you're contending with me. You're striving with me. Watch this. This word contend or strive means right here to conduct a case or a suit legal. God says, you're trying to, you're, you're bringing a suit of law against me, Job. You're suing me. And here the judge is at the bench arguing against the case. You know, it's it, it, not not too often do you bring a case against a judge, but Job has brought a case against the judge, and God says, "Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him?" Job, should you really be instructing God? Not wise. Notice what he says: "He that reproveth God, let him answer." You no, know God was saying that Job was Job was reproving him. That's dangerous. Yeah. That actually God has taken this from Elihu's word back in chapter 33. It's one of the reasons why you notice, I believe Elihu was the preparation for God. God never rebukes Elihu and he actually says some of the things that Elihu says. It's the three friends that get rebuked. So, here in chapter 40, God is getting them ready again. Should you be instructing me? And look what Job answers here. He says, I am vile. That's pretty. That's one of the best answers he's had. I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer, yea, twice. But I will proceed no further. Good job, Job. Very wise. Very wise. So God, he, God is going to answer him again, verses 6 through 7. Out of the whirlwind, he's still speaking. And he actually, here he goes, and he's going to rebuke Job. Look at verse 8. Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? What does the word disannul mean? It means to bring to nothing, as in, watch this, as in someone's rights, to remove somebody's rights. Right. To remove somebody's rights. Look what God says. Are you going to remove my right of judgment? Are you going to disannul my judgment, Job? Wilt thou condemn me? Now watch this. Don't, oh, don't, don't brush over this. This is God's righteous charge against Job. Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? 
pretty heavy, huh? You know what God is saying? You're condemning me so that you look righteous. Watch, folks. This is exactly what somebody does when they say, well, why does God allow all this suffering? Well, why did God allow this? Or why did God allow that? Why do you, I don't have time to get into you know, the whole uh, condition of the fall and free will tonight. I know we're well acquainted with that. There are some things that God has not caused. All right, Just because God knows, it doesn't mean He caused. All right? We understand that. And there are some things that are just a product of a sin-cursed world. All right? What happens? We get sick sometimes. What happens? We are going to die one of these days. Right? Okay, so but there are people that that charge God and they contend with God and they say, God, why do you allow suffering? And you know what they're saying? I wouldn't. So what are they doing? They're saying, I'm righteous. They're condemning God and proving their own righteousness. And this is what God charged Job with doing. You see this? Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? Yeah. So, I want you to notice something here where God is going to put on display here now in verses 9 through 14. I'm about done. We're going to wrap this up here in a minute. God is now going to put on display His power. He says this, Look at verse 9. Hast thou an arm like God? Yeah. People say, man, dude's got pipes on him. Look at those. Yeah, look at these. I know you can't see anything. Trust me. There's something there. All right, maybe. <laughs> yeah. What, what was, uh, what was, uh, who had the biggest arms? Like 25 inch crazy arm? Not, not, not the guys with synthol and oil in their those weirdos. Uh, I don't know. So there's guys out there that have like 25 inch arms around. Crazy. Anybody have 30? I'm trying to think. If you, I think 20. I don't know what Schwarzenegger was. 20. I don't know. I don't know. Frig, no, he's a big guy. It's me. Oh, yeah, yeah. What did he have? Like 22 inch yeah, pythons or something he said. Something like that. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. 23. Oh, you are. Okay. Brother Martin has 23. Well, let me tell you something, Brother Martin. Look what God says. Hast thou an arm like God? Nope. He's talking about his strength. Nobody does. Nobody. I like this. This is fascinating to me. Or canst thou thunder with a voice like him? You realize God is still speaking through the tornado. Do you know that a, the, a, a, a tornado can be anywhere from 150 to 200 decibels? That's loud. 200 is the limit of what we measure decibels. Do you know the, uh, what is it, the, um, which whale? <clears throat> There's a whale, is it the sperm whale, I think it is, or the, the orca, those whales that, uh, that sonar, they click underwater and they, find their way around and things like that. They say that click is about 200 decibels and it would probably rupture your eardrum if they did it out of water. But it, because it's in water, it's got to travel through the way. Fascinating stuff about sound. I think this is cr- incredible. The, his voice is actually his, the, what he's using to prove his strength when he talks about his voice. 
He's speaking in a, in a, in a whirlwind. Uh, in, in 1870, I think, no, 1883, I just read this today. There are some ranchers in Alice Springs, Australia. One morning in, in, in Australia, they heard a sound like two shots from a rifle. Two shots went off. And what it was was the sound from the volcano Krakatoa in Indonesia, 2,200 miles away. They say it is proven that the sound waves from Krakatoa went around the globe multiple times. That's loud. And God says, Canst thou have a voice? Or canst thou thunder with a voice like him? God says, you have a voice like mine? Do you know sound waves can kill a person? A bomb blast. What are those sound waves? You get one big enough, it'll kill you. I mean, we know sound waves uh, up towards 200 decibels will rupture eardrums. What are those? Those are waves. Those are That's force smacking, hitting against uh, the whole... Uh, all of the molecules and things that we can't see. We're actually swimming in stuff. You know, unlike water, we're swimming in things that we can't see. And sound waves bounce off stuff, right? Sound waves are powerful. Yeah. So God, what is God saying? Job, are you as powerful as I am? Do you realize God spoke the universe into existence? Sound waves? I've told, I've told you about the, strings, the super string theory, right? Scientists believe that the entire universe is like strings. It's, it's all on a vibration, like a cello or a guitar that somebody plucks the springs and it goes off. This vibration is the voice of God. What, what happens when you speak? Vibration. You know, it's sound waves. And unfortunately, scientists have backed off the super string theory because it leaves them with only one logical question. Who plucked the strings? Yeah. So, he, so here's God saying, Hey, Job, are you as powerful as... As I am. So he's, he challenges Job. Here in verses 10 through 14. Uh, to, to do all of these things. Look what he says 10 through 13. Deck thyself now with majesty and excellency. And array thyself with glory and beauty. Cast abroad the rage of thy wrath. And behold everyone that is proud and abase him. Look on everyone that is proud and bring them low. And tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together and bind them Bind their faces in secret. Secret. Then will I confess unto thee that thine own right hand can save thee. God says, Job, if you can do this, okay, fine. I'll confess that you're strong enough to save yourself. But you can't. So he goes on. 15 through 14, 15 through 24. He said, I made you just like I made behemoth. You can go and look at all the things what they think behemoth probably was. Was it a... Uh, some sort of a dinosaur, obviously. Brontosaurus, I don't know. Said his tail is like a cedar. Yeah. Incredible. So he says, I may, watch, watch what God's saying. Job, I made you just like I made Behemoth. <laughs> so chapter 41, this is quick. The entire chapter is about Leviathan. He lives in the water. He's unable to be dominated. You can't, you can't cast a hook and... Get him through the lip and drag him in. It's not going to happen. No human can conquer him. And God says, and I created him. So God, now, now chapter 41, God closes his argument now. He's brought truth. He's brought evidence. He's brought logic. 
And so here's Job's answer in chapter 42. Verses 1 through 3 of Job's concession. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withheld from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. He had a concession. God, I'm nothing. Now notice his confession in verse 4 and 6 through 6. Here I beseech thee and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Now this I don't want to miss. Job says, I heard about you. I've known about you. But now I see you? How does Job see God? We know it's not visible. No man can look see God and live. We know that. See, watch this. Job, Job went from knowing about God academically with belief to knowing God personally. He saw Him. He went from hearing to seeing. And do you know this progression has to happen in every believer's life? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We come into a, a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ because we hear the gospel, we, we believe the gospel, we put our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. But then eventually, we see Him. Psalm 38, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. Hebrews 2 and verse 9, But we see Jesus. How do we see Him? Who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. What did they see about you? They understood who He was. It was relational. Relational. Not just academic. You know, I'm afraid among so many professed believers, and I will, I, will, I will narrow this down. Judgment must begin at the house of God, right? I'll judge it down to independent fundamental Baptist churches across the world. Have an academic understanding and belief in the God of the Bible and the Word of God. But so many times they've stopped there and they've never got to the experience of God. I'm not talking about a Pentecostal charismatic experience. I'm talking about seeing Him because God has worked in their life through suffering, through pain, through other people, through, through things that are uncomfortable. When we come out of the other side and we understand Him greater than we ever did before. So you know what's happening in some of your lives tonight? God is bringing people into your life who is a mirror of your relationship with God. And God is bringing circumstances into your life all for one grand purpose that you'll see Him. Why? Why? So you'll trust Him. Because any relationship is built on trust. And you will never go as deep with your relationship in your relationship with God as your trust is. You can't. And so you know what God is doing in your life? He's orchestrating some things that you really don't like. 
that you really don't understand, that you're not that excited about, that maybe you've been uh, uh, told incorrectly and unbiblically about how life should be as a believer and you're kind of a little confused right now of why this is going on. Can I tell you, God is completely aware. And it's possible that He has organized and orchestrated all of this so you'll trust Him. So you'll see Him. Yeah. So you'll see Him. Watch, not for what God does and not for what God promises, but for God Himself. Let me read this to you. Listen to it. I'll condense this. Oswald Chambers said this. I'm going to come in here somewhere else. No, I won't. I'll read the whole thing. Everything a man takes to be the key to a problem is apt to turn out to another lock. Think, oh, this is it. You find out, nope, that was a lock. This will make me happy. Nope, another lock. Still not happy. For instance, the theory of evolution was supposed to be the key to the problem of the universe. But instead it has turned out a lock. (laughs) They still don't understand it the deeper they get. Again, the atomic uh, theory was uh, thought to be the key. Then it was discovered the atom itself was composed of electrons and each electron was found to be a universe of its own. And that theory too became a lock, not a key. Everything that man attempts as a simplification of life other than a personal relationship to God turns out to be a lock and we should be alert to recognize when a thing turns from a lock to a key or from a key to a lock. Now listen to what he says here. Listen to this. The creed Job held, which pretended to be a key to the character of God, turned out to be a lock. And Job is realizing that the only key to life is not a statement of faith in God, not academics, nor an intellectual conception of God, but a personal relationship to Him. God Himself is the key to the riddle of the universe. And the basis of things is to be found only in Him. If a man leaves out God and takes any scientific explanation as the key... He only succeeds in finding another lock. (laughs) I love it. God is the key. God is the key. And this is what Job found out. God offered to Satan Job's life, not for his vindication. God needs no vindication, though he was vindicated twice. But he offered Satan to Job for Job's maturity. And when Job finally saw God personally, Job received double portion of what he had before. He restored everything. Double, even his years. He, he, God gave him 140 years. What's half of 140? 70. So we know Job's about 70 here. Which we also know that uh, Job lived to be about 210, probably in the time frame of Abraham, Terah, those eras. So Job re, 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 got everything double. Except his children. Why? Because of the other ones, ye being dead, <laughs> yet liveth. They're in heaven. They're alive. He has he had four he got double kids. Yeah. 
Some just weren't on the planet anymore. Right. Yeah. So let me ask you tonight, have you moved from hearing to seeing yet? Are you still stuck in academics? As most people know, know with schooling and academics, it's necessary. But it's only so far it can go to satisfying the desire and the need of your heart. The, th- the things going on in your life that you don't like could be just choices and sin and consequences of our actions. And yeah, we have that. Or it could be that God is using them so you'll finally see Him. Let's just make sure we allow God to do that and trust Him. Heavenly Father, thank You for this book. And uh, a lot here. And we just want to thank You for it. So Father, would You help us to trust You I am probably pretty sure because we're all made of the same dust and we're all human beings in here, I'm pretty sure probably most everybody in here, most everybody who's a member of this church is going through something in life that they don't understand. And Father, we know from what we see from Job's life and what you allowed and what you tried to work out that it's all for a purpose. And God, I pray that you would help us